What is up, K-Corner Podcast, and how are we doing today? There is a lot of sports news coming off, popping off, and I originally, when I was uploading this and getting everything together uh, earlier on in the day, when I was kind of going through the mental gymnastics of, hey, what am I going to cover? I didn't expect that I'd have kind of everything that I that I do, and I'm excited to kind of talk through all of this. So we're reaching right about six here. So looks like I'll be recording probably around till seven. I want to be surprised if I go past a full hour with how much news and stuff there is to talk about. Um, Overall, there's a lot of news. Aaron Rodgers ended up showing up at camp, which we found out. And he also had some comments to say about himself. Um, Simone Biles pulling out. That's becoming a huge uh, news story that I want to touch and reflect on. Not for a long time, but definitely want to talk about it. We have Deshaun Watson news. We have MLB trade deadline, which ends Friday at 4 p.m., but people can still get claimed off waivers if they pass through or whatever. We have NFL news on the side of Kelvin Benjamin getting released. And I just want to talk about a few things. And we have obviously the NBA draft, um, which is going on tomorrow, which is going to be my uh, main and focal talking point. Um, Two things that I do want to shout out though. First off, if you don't already follow MI Sportsbook, it's one of my buddies. He, He spends a ton of time going through good bets to make and uh, gives you some ideas on, you know, better ways to make your money. He's made a ton of money already this year, been grinding through a lot. And I would just suggest that if, if you plan on it and, and, and you're really interested in sports betting in the state of Michigan or if your state allows sports betting, um, to go follow his Twitter. He has absolute, uh, uh, absolutely great advice. He lets you all know, too, exactly what he's doing. He's not trying to hide anything between 18 laboratory do- doors and 14 payments and 18 visual contacts. He's just, like, trying to help people make some money. You know, he's already doing doing this by himself, making a ton of money. So he kind of figures, Hey, if, if I'm not the one, if I'm not the only one doing this, we have a bunch of people doing it. It can be fun. And just, just on a whole entire notebook. And in a side note, I'd also like to thank David Quist who submitted a, a voiced question about the boys. I'm going to be talking about that next week, Tuesday. Um, David, if you're listening, I'm definitely planning on answering that question. I'll probably record a little clip of what you said. Um, and my goal is to, you know, anytime someone uses that to immediately answer that question, obviously if this channel grows exponentially and I'm getting like 20 to 30 requests, maybe I won't be able to do all of them or I'll do like a Friday thing where I go through all of them. But His request is pretty straightforward. It's about the boys. Um, and I'm excited to talk about it when I talk about season two next week. I do have a movie in mind to uh, review and go after tonight. However, uh, I haven't quite picked it out yet. So wait for a tweet that's going to be incoming on uh, the movie that I'm going to be kind of talking about. So first off in getting through the news, um, Calvin Benjamin, who showed up as a tight end for the Giants, already got released. Sounds like he had a huge on-the-field conflict argument and was yelling and agitated. Maybe he thought he was going to be a starter. Maybe he thought that he was going to get more first-team reps on his first few days at camp, and he hasn't been able to get that, and he got released immediately. Um, Looks like probably at this point his NFL career is over. On the same topic, Xavier Howard for the Miami Dolphins has officially requested a trade. There's a few different landing spots for him. Cowboys could really use him. But um, he, he kind of is out on the whole entire organization. He doesn't think that they're paying him enough. His contract he signed isn't beneficial for him. And it, it kind of sounds like like the relations between the Dolphins front office and the players, Avery Howard, has grown to a point where he's no longer, no longer happy and no longer wants to participate on the team. 
Now, going to some smaller news, Deshaun Watson, he is currently um, still on the active roster, hasn't been put on it, and the Texans are looking to trade him. Uh, not really a huge surprise, but the problem is is that the NFL is still conducting their basically their interview and their audit, and they're extremely concerned that because uh, Deshaun Watson may get kicked out for the year, maybe, you know, suspended, maybe even be facing legal charges that no team really wants to trade for him. And the trade market isn't as high as what you may have originally thought for him, which puts them in an absolutely terrible spot until all that gets cleared up and the NFL makes a, a clear and, and concise decision on it. However, in the, in the same kind of scope of things of NFL football world. I just read an article which I found really interesting. So one way or the other on COVID, um, vaccinating or not vaccinating, uh, I think we all understand that going out and stuff like that is more dangerous and there's more risk of infection if you're doing it, uh, especially even with the vaccine now, which is what we've been finding out is the recidivism rate on people who are getting vaxxed, you know, the reinfection rate, I guess, would be a better terminology, is 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 obviously there. I don't think it's as high, and it's definitely not as serious after you've already had the vaccine or already had COVID before, but you can get it a few different times. But the one thing that I saw is that the NFL is forcing players to wear tracking devices to make sure that they don't go into areas that have been marked as wrong areas to go into when they're outside team facilities. I don't even know if they can legally do that, but supposedly they're forcing all the players to wear like a tracker of some sort, maybe in like a wristband or something. So that way they don't get COVID and they don't miss games and stuff like that. And they don't get sickness. I don't even know if they can do that. And it's pretty wild demands that, Hey, outside of work, you're not allowed to go to these areas. I don't know exactly how that kind of looks. You know, if it's legal in your area or your state of residence, how is it going to be illegal for you outside of, of your football terminology? I don't really know how, how that's going to work with everyone, but the push to get people uh, vaccinated, especially on football teams and stuff like that is extremely high. They don't want people uh, spreading COVID around. They don't want anyone obviously dying from COVID under their watch because they have some liability on instructing. So they say, if, Hey, everyone's vaccinated, our hands are kind of clean on it. But I just thought that was kind of a crazy article that I, I, I perused over and was like, wait, people are getting fined for not wearing trackers? Uh, it just seems like something that you'd see. I'm not going to say in like North Korea and China because we have it's happening here, but I would just see that's like a dystopian future type world where big businesses and big governments would like be scouting over and, and looking at, hey, this is this is where we're at and this is how many people and stuff like that. I just, I just found that pretty... Uh, pretty crazy, I guess you could say. Um, what I want to wrap up on this topic um, before we really get into NBA and MLB news is Aaron Rodgers. So if any of you guys didn't see it, there's about 17 to 20 minutes of Aaron Rodgers um, talking about his team. And I think, I think it was maybe the best all-time candid and straightforward interview and I was thinking about this on my way into work today um, because, or no, sorry, after my lunch break when I was running back with food and I was listening on the radio and these people were talking about what did Aaron Rodgers gain? He just wanted his name in the news. He's a big crybaby. He, he, he didn't actually want any change. You know, they, they, they didn't even get anything. What concessions did they actually make? And what these guys don't understand is is that 
they're idiots. Like, they truly are idiots. And if you watch um, Aaron Rodgers kind of speak uh, on this on this press conference, he he's very openly states that he's like, hey, this is kind of what happened through my mind is routinely the front office would make decisions that I disagreed with. They wouldn't come and talk to me about receivers or personnel that they're picking up, acquiring, trading. They didn't talk to me about Matt LaFleur as a head coach. And he's like, I love Matt LaFleur. And he, he also kept repeating like, hey, I'm not a victim here. I'm just like... This, this were all the issues I had. He's like, people at my stage where they're 14 years with the team that they're with, they've started, they've won Super Bowl rings, they've won multiple MVPs, they're supposed to be treated a little bit differently. And he also talked about, hey, guys who have left this team, all pro guys, uh, defensive player of the year guys who have left this team, always feel like they aren't given the due diligence and the respect from the organization that they truly feel and that a lot of other organizations kind of had. And he brought it up perfectly. So he wins, right? Has NFC Championship game. They lose. Uh, You can blame him, whatever you want to do there. He didn't play a great game. He didn't play an awful game. But he has an MVP caliber season. He's like, they didn't talk to me about an extension past 2021. They didn't talk to me uh, about anything. He's like, they, they literally just left the door completely close to me. They didn't talk to me about in, inquiring anyone in the offseason. And he's like, uh, a few months go by, and suddenly after I kind of like throw a fit and say, hey, guys, it's kind of bullshit what's happening here. So when he goes in there and is like, hey, this is this is kind of bullshit. I, I don't like the way that we're trending. Uh, you guys don't come to me and talk about decisions. It's always kind of unilaterally you guys, and I want to feel like, Hey, if I'm a huge part of this organization that, you know, I should be a bigger part. And then, so they don't talk about an extension. They don't talk about anything. And then all this kind of goes down and they immediately offer more money. So it's kind of like, Hey, we know we burned you. We know we didn't really treat you with any respect. And we were hoping that you wouldn't say anything. And now we're going to offer you more money. And he's like, guys, if you plan on moving past me, you know, you did draft my replacement. You didn't draft a player to make our team better. You didn't draft someone that, you know, changed and made our team more dynamic on the offensive, defensive side of the ball. You could have drafted a lineman. You could have drafted anyone. And you went with a backup quarterback that's at least sitting for a few years. If you're not going to be with me past 2021, like, just just fucking trade me. Like, what's 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 the holdup? And he called them out and... Basically, they're saying, oh, no, we love you. We love you, Aaron. We want to we want to sign you. And for him, it's kind of like bullshittery and fakeness that kind of brought him to a frustrated point because he's like, guys, I don't want a lot. I don't need more money. I don't I don't need all of this hoopla. I just want you to respect me as a huge part of your organization that when people come and say they want to play for Green Bay, it's probably because they want to come play with the multiple MVP and Super Bowl champ. It's not because they want to move to Green Bay, Wisconsin. It's because they look at my organization as, as producing great quarterbacks and they look at me and say, Hey, why, why are they not? Why are they not adding me? And then another point is like Randall Cobb. And he's like, guys, I need a true slot receiver and they don't want to sign him. Don't want to sign him. Don't want to sign him. Don't want to trade for him. He's like, guys. And then finally what happens we hear yesterday is that Randall Cobb comes and he's like, yeah, guys, like that's fine and nice. But when I asked you four or five months ago and you told me basically to fuck off and now you do it after I throw a hissy fit and basically say, Hey, I need time to clear my head. I need time to think about what my future is in football. Um, He talked about wanting to retire. Um, He said he's like, I'm too competitive for that, though. I have way too much juice left, and I can definitely play. But it's basically this. 
And what it comes down to, and Aaron Rodgers spoke beautifully. I would recommend you listening to the full 17-second clip because he, he, he spoke in a very true and forthright way that in most terms can't be dissuaded. And it, it got to the feeling and to the point, for, for me especially, is that an organization took advantage of a generational-type talent. And what what they've been doing is, is that Aaron Rodgers is like, hey, guys, like I, I really like this player. And and on like their analytical book side, they're like, nah, 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 nah. Like anytime, if you're a huge sports marketing guy and you're the salesman and you go to your office like, hey, I need five of these trucks in line. I, I know I can sell them. If you give me these trucks, we, we, we will sell the shit out of these. These are whatever every one of my customers are talking to me about. The, the, I know these trucks inside and out. Please let me sell them. And they go, mm, we'll look to a crossover. And then when they bring crossovers in and you sell some of them, but not all of them, and you look at some of the other guys to pick up the work, you know, the other salesmen that were, you know, in a big part of making this decision or the head honchos are, you're like, guys, I told you this isn't what I needed. I needed, I needed a truck and you guys got me crossovers. Like everyone in the area wanted trucks because of A, B, C, and D, and you guys gave me this. And now you're making it my fault because you didn't provide me with the correct resources. And now you're saying you can buy trucks, but all those people who had lined up and ready to buy trucks, they already bought trucks. They're, they're gone. Those, the, the, that open offers are gone. And you're going to blame me and say, I'm throwing a hissy fit now when I yelled at you because I'm making money off whether or not I sell trucks. And what, what pisses me off the most about the media, right? Is that everyone's like, Everyone in the media is talking from the point of view and perspective of, well, I would never do that. Guess what, motherfuckers? We're talking about the person who is doing that. We are irrelevant. We have nothing. We are not multi-million dollar athletes that have generated billions of dollars of revenue from someone, right? Like, like, let's be honest. How much revenue do you think Aaron Rodgers has generated? Do you remember when they won three games and they were playing the Lions and got their ass kicked and the, the, the stadium was completely empty? Lambeau was completely empty? No, no, no. Oh, we don't talk about those games. Oh, okay. Just just to be sure, we don't talk about those games. But when Aaron Rodgers is going down to see championships, winning the division every year, how much money do you think he's generated them? Five times? Ten times? What what he's been been paid? And that person who is your biggest moneymaker, who makes your offense run, we saw it. We saw it when Aaron Rodgers was injured. He comes back, plays an MVP level, and you guys had drafted his replacement. And you're asking him and telling him, no, 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 we, this, this isn't, guys, you drafted his replacement, then in the second round got a backup running back, and the news media is saying he's throwing a bitch fit. It's like, stupid motherfuckers. Of course he's throwing a bitch fit because he just watched Tom Brady go there. The head coach said, no, I don't like Antonio Brown. Guess what happens? They sign Antonio Brown. And then they win a championship because Tom Brady got insight into things. Tom Brady got to help control things. And these analysts and guys who have never fucking played football are controlling decisions when you have one of the most talented quarterbacks in the world sitting next to you and you guys are like, nope, he's a fucking idiot. He doesn't know what he's doing. How would you feel as an employee if you're the head analytics department guy and the GM basically told you to fuck all every single time it came to decision? You'd be pissed and want to leave. And here's the difference is that Aaron Rodgers signs a multi-year contract. 
you aren't signing that contract, right? You're, you could leave at any time. You could go to Tampa Bay. You could go to any other organization in the world. And it's all about perception. And I don't want to drag on too long about this because I just, I just get annoyed that these news media guys, if they had all these takes and they're walking to their editor, right? The director of their, their show. Cause they're not saying actual shit, right? Like they, me, I can have no filter. I can cancel myself. I can say all the stupidest fucking shit I want. And these guys have to play by certain rules and push narratives that ESPN wants because they work for a huge organization, which is like good because they have the biggest marketing scheme in the world with Disney, but they also have to pay off people. And who, who gets the rights for the NFL? ESPN. And ESPN pays for those rights. So if ESPN pays for those rights and the NFL is owned by the owners as a as it in as a way to enforce the rules and they always work in the owner's best interest and ESPN pays them to get the rights the customer is always right in America, right? So they're not going to piss off the customer and they can't have fucking shitty takes where I'm going to say that the Green Bay Packers organization has failed Aaron Rodgers. And you can say, well, his offense has been in the top 10. It's like, yeah, it's been in the top 10 in spite of who they've given Aaron Rodgers. And he's had a tremendous line. And and I'm not arguing that. But have they brought in a dynamic, game-changing receiver? Have they drafted a game-changing receiver outside of Devontae Adams? No. Did they trade away... All of Aaron Rodgers' favorite assets that he's talked highly of and he's liked. Yep. And so when you constantly tell a dude that you don't fucking matter, how is he going to feel towards your organization? Good? Bad? If you treat your employee poorly, do you think he's going to give a fuck about winning? And Aaron Rodgers and all these people are like, they gave him concessions? I literally heard it today. Aaron Rodgers just likes hearing his name. Really, Aaron Rodgers. Like, I hope you guys like expect us to have a fucking mind wipe of the last 14 years where Aaron Rodgers is rarely in the media, that his, his answers and everything is always fine and breezy, that he's talked about as being a tremendous teammate that just goes in and works in the offseason. There's been no drama, right? The only time you've talked about him is in the last year and a half about his drama. He came out, Jordan Love got drafted. We didn't hear any drama about that, right? He didn't bring it up. He didn't say anything. And now you guys want to just throw this label on him because you're constantly sucking off the NFL for money. I get it. It's a good business strategy. Don't get me wrong. I understand. But stop acting like you're saying real reality. You're not. You're just trying to say something that, that gets you A, views, and B, really just tells the world, hey, uh... The NFL, they're, they're the, the owners, are, they're the smartest people in the world. They're, they're, they just, they make all the right decisions, man. And honestly, I've seen fans shitting on Aaron Rodgers and saying, oh, well, we don't need him. Yeah, you fucking do, guys. Like, you do until you get another Hall of Fame quarterback. And <laughs> it's like, you're being selfish. And it's like, guys, he wants to win. He's not doing this to say, hey, I, 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 don't, I don't fucking love the fans. He even said it. There's his best part. He's talking. He's like, I love this team. I love the, or I love the fans. He couldn't even bring himself to say, I love the organization. And that's the problem. He loves the Green Bay Packers, but hates the people who run the Green Bay Packers. And you guys are sucking off billionaires, not the people that actually win games. And it's just fucking hilarious to me that the NFL is marketed themselves as, as, as if the team is the front office. 
The front office people who are non-athletes for the most part probably have never played a football team. Look at analytics and are running a business. You guys fell in love with the business and not the employees. And it's perfect for the NFL because they know that as long as you love the business more than the employees, that anytime a guy like this gets caught up and, and takes a thing with all this traditional media who are paying who are paying billions and billions of dollars to host and, and have all of these separate channels of NFL football, they know that they can create whatever narrative about a certain player who speaks out against the NFL, whatever they want. So that's done with my ramblings. The last few things I want to talk about is Simone Biles, guys. She withdraws from the uh, Olympic competition. Uh, I don't think I talked about this. She said, hey, I just wasn't in the right headspace to compete. I don't want to go injure myself, A, or, or B, uh, let my teammates down, so I'm going to withdraw. And everyone was shitting on her. I, I think this is the proper take. Well, I hope she gets whatever need she need, she has, uh, uh, and I hope she kind of figures it out. But shitting on her, shitting on her, someone for having a bad day, you probably cry when your makeup isn't fucking applied properly. You probably cry when your girlfriend or wife burns the fucking dish she's trying to make for you. Like, don't give me this bullshit Simone Biles doesn't care. She's literally like, I, I can't cost them because I'm not in the proper headspace. And, and our actions on the same side, it's not courageous to pull out of an event. It's, it's not mind-blowing and stunning and brave. Like, it's brave because you know you're going to face criticism for it, but it's not brave for doing it. But I'm not going to shit on you for doing it. It's just like, yeah, you made a decision, and, and, and in the moment, you thought it was the best decision for you, and I hope for the for a fact that one of the greatest to ever do gymnastics tricks figures it out. And so, um, Simone Biles, my, my peace is with you. I hope you find peace and you get back to competing at the level you do, or if competing is something you know, want to do no longer want to do, I hope you find your next passion and your next kind of role of life. And, and I think Simone Biles has been great for so long and she's been dominating competition for so long. Sometimes it must feel like the world is on her shoulders and that if she doesn't, if she isn't perfect and, it's not, it's not bad for her. What she did is saying like, Hey, I'm not, I can't give you my all. And if I'm not giving you my all, I, I shouldn't compete. And it's also not stunning and brave to do that. It's, it's just like a thing she did. And did it have negative ramifications? USA still won silver. And it's just, everyone's being annoying and ratty and shitty about it because people love being annoying, ratty and shitty because it's their personality. Um, Texas and Oklahoma guys, they're joining separate conferences, officially informing the Big 12 that they're moving to the SEC. Now, the Big 12 still has a contract until 2024 with them, so it looks like the first time we can get that is 2025. However, with this two, basically the only money makers um, in the whole entire conference uh, from like scalability-wise that they're making much more than everyone else. All of these teams are most likely making except for probably like Kansas, Kansas State, um, Iowa State's probably making money and, and a few others. But if the conference dissipates and breaks up before that happens or they find them in the breach of contract before, they might leave earlier. And I think that's what most likely is going to happen. The Big 12 and, and what we kind of got to understand here is the Big 12 is an organization. And if they start adding um, American conference teams they're not going to be a power five conference. And you can say, well, power five conferences, it doesn't say you need to have a certain amount. No, 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 no. If the teams you add are significantly worse than the teams that left, 
You're no longer a power five. You're no longer a conference that that holds any weight. So you have West Virginia. Um, they're looking to join the ACC. Kansas is looking to join the Big Ten, um, reportedly. Oklahoma State supposedly is interested in the Big Ten uh, as well. I think they match up kind of well football, basketball-wise. But I think, honestly, if if all these conferences and reportedly the Pac-12, some teams are looking to go somewhere, it, it should just be, hey, here are the top 50. We're going to do it like we do in the NFL and we're going to set out a huge schedule. Like, the NCAA can just do this, and I know the rights are owned by the SEC network, and you can still have the traditional things, but, hey, let's split the country up. Eight teams get into the power of football, right? Four teams currently. Split it up into four different conferences. Have them all equal. Maybe you change them, but I don't think that this, is, this isn't going to kill football, by the way. It's it's not. It's just going to be interesting to see the ramifications that everyone has. And the thing that we got to know is that, is it valuable for Michigan to add a team like Oklahoma State? Is it valuable to the conference to add a team like Kansas? Now, West Virginia, they increased their academics, increased their resources. I wouldn't be at all surprised if they joined the ACC. But I could also see some ACC teams going and joining the Big Ten, and the Atlantic Coast Conference kind of pulling all the Big 12 teams together. I, it's going to be crazy. Um, I assume by 2023, and uh, maybe by early to late, or a year from now, we're going to have a better vision on what all the conferences are going to look like. What are the opinions? If these guys get left out, do they try to form their own conference? Do they stick together? It's going to be crazy and madness as each conference expands in the in everything like this. I, I, I do love it because... I think that what we're approaching is that we're going to have a different division of football. And what what I mean by that is teams like that are D1A, right? D1A, they're the biggest in football. And then you have like D1AA and, and NF or you, you get what I'm saying. You have all the different college football and you have multiple division one schools that are like not as huge as let's say in Michigan. But if all the huge collective schools, like we're not talking about Coastal Carolina, um, you know, Houston, Cincinnati. I'm not talking about Sunbelt schools. I'm talking about Big Ten, ACC, uh, Pac-12 in the Big Ten. If they just join and say, hey, we're leaving you guys behind. Now we'll play inner, inner league basically where we'll, we'll go down and play you guys. But we're forming our own division where we're the only ones capable of championships in the FCS, which had teams like North Dakota State are going to remain their division. And you guys are going to have to add your own division because you don't have the, the resources and in, in marketing and in product lines. And we'll go down and play you and it'll count as an official game, even though you're outside of the division, you're still in D1. And so everyone can still get their TV money and stuff like that. But like the top 50 schools that are always competing like Kansas, like they don't have a huge football program. They don't have the recruitment and the investment that everyone else has. If Kansas wants to move down and say, hey, we're going to play in a in a division that helps us fucking win, and maybe it doesn't have as much limelight, but we're playing the Coastal Carolinas and stuff, but we're obviously D1 in basketball. We're a huge basketball school. Baseball will be in it too. But I think that would make more sense overall for the geographics because there's no point in time that you know we've seen it is that USF these pro football programs can make money and they can make money in a myriad of different ways. But even when they go 12 and 0, sorry UCF not USF, um, 
they're not even getting a chance at competing because they're not big enough. And the, the fact of the matter is, is that they're not seen as big enough. And so they should literally have their own division where all these smaller schools like Sunbelt schools, AAC, MAC, uh, the WAT, the, uh, the, the Mountain West, you know, all these schools that are small have football teams and can compete, but they don't have the resources that these huge schools do is that they go and compete in their own, you know, cycle and division. And I think it would honestly make it important. And you could even have like relegation, like what they do is like, Hey, if two consecutive years finishing in the bottom, like the bottom 2% of teams, like the bottom two teams, you guys get kicked down to that lower division and maybe you're much better, but you still get your own championship to compete and you're not just a bottom feeder program for the last 30 years. Like, does Rutgers deserve to be a D1 football program? I honestly don't know. And that's the thing is, I don't know if they deserve to be a Division One football program. You can talk about basketball I know they have a pretty good baseball team but would they be better competing against teams like Coastal Carolina and in teams over there in the Sun Belt I think they would and I think it would help people go to games because they'd be good and you wouldn't maybe get as much marketing money from the Big Ten but you'd get a competent football team and then let's say you start playing well more recruits come there because you're actually playing good football like that's how that's how you can help teams jump and move and up and down and stuff like that now with all that out of the way the first half hour Sorry, I know I spent a lot of time rambling and going through scenarios, but we're getting to the NBA draft and we're going to be breaking down players here. I talked to you guys about not really wanting to predict. Sorry about that. Had to take a quick water break. But what I wanted to talk about and and what I want to make sure that this isn't mistaken as is I'm not talking from a point of view of where I think players are going to get drafted. I'm going to just break down some prospects, what I like, dislike about him, and, and kind of also hint at what teams have some huge gaping holes that they can definitely fill and who people are slated to go to where I'm like, I don't know if that's exactly where they're going to go. So first off, we had Cade Cunningham, clear number one pick. A lot of people who are anti-Cade Cunningham number one and more Jalen Green is because he isn't an elite athletic specimen. He doesn't have the the top first step. He doesn't have the bounce that maybe you're used to when on a 6'7", 220-pound guy. But he is the new basketball player where he doesn't have to move a mile, uh, million miles a minute. He can just pick his spots, be, be creative and athletic in a few movements, use his feet, foot, in, in feet to get himself in good positions and finish. He's um, is a great shooter, great three-point shooter, uh, attempts difficult shooters. The one prone alongside him not being a freak athlete and why some people might like Jalen Green a little bit more is he is not a great passer. Now, there's two things to take into account when you say that. Is he was turnover prone at Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State was not a great basketball team. A lot of assists were left on the floor because the team wasn't very good, and you should see those kind of go in. He does have a, a tendency, and you see this down when when guys are a little bit quicker to guard him. He, he I think he kind of struggled with smaller guards that had a tremendous help defense where he couldn't bully in the post, although he has a decent post game where he can get to a spot and shoot a little fadeaway over you. But um, some smaller guards where 
he wasn't able to get around, flustered him, and he dribbled a lot and then made some bad passes. But again, he was a kind of a one-man wrecking ball. It'll be interesting to see how he comes into this offense with the Pistons, who are going to be extremely young with this draft pick, and kind of how all of that uh, determines. I think he's number one by... Everything that you've seen. He's going to be a great defender, by the way. He's long and lanky. I think he has almost a 7-foot reach or a 6'10 reach. So he's got long arms. And I think that this is a guy who who is your best floor prospect and also has a great ceiling. And what I mean by that is I think his shooting can carry him if he isn't tremendous at getting off guys and, and shaking people with his dribble, which I don't know how that would be possible with how much effectiveness he showed against tremendous defensive athletes at college who are top-end athletes in finishing. But let's say he struggles. He has a tremendous three-point shooting stroke. He didn't do a lot of catch-and-shoot, but he was good in the few reps that he got. He had a lot of pull-ups. And if he has to play off-ball a little bit with guys like Jeremy Grant and maybe Killian Hayes running the point guard position... I think that this is going to bring a guy in who's going to he's going to sell tickets A and he's going to be exciting for the Pistons um, if they eventually draft him. Evan Mobley, a 7-foot freshman. This dude is long, uh lanky. I think the the real selling point on this guy is he has a lot of room to grow in in his offensive game on top of the fact that he's already so long and polished. He has to add weight um and I think that the one thing that is is not known about his game is that he is extremely good defensively. Like I'm not just saying that because he's seven foot. He can guard multiple positions in the sense that if you have to switch him and he has to go out and step out on a guard, he has quick feet. He's really good at not fouling. He has really really long arms, and at at, at his minimum, he's he's going to be a rim runner lob type guy he does need to add a bunch of weight he's 215 at seven foot and his hips might not be there where he might get pushed around early on but you have to just love how how incredible that this guy is going to be once he finds out his jump shot once he gets a little bit more time and rep in the weight room and in the gym this guy is one of those guys and I've seen him slated to the Cavaliers the Cavaliers already have a big rim running big and I can't think of his name he was on the um, he was on the Nets for a long time. Uh, God damn it. What's his name? Jared Allen, Jared Allen. So I don't know if this is the team that necessarily selects him. Most people think that Jared Allen, or this guy's a generational talent. He could be an all NBA player in the future, but they say that about every seven footer and you have guys like Mo Bamba who are, they talk about their length and, uh, they never really develop and turn out to be anything other than the guys they enter, um, the NBA has, and they already have an extremely good guy. They're looking to get rid of guards. So I wouldn't be surprised if the Cavs take a guard at three here. Jalen Green, he is very similar to Cade Cunningham. Jalen Green went to the G League, though. He was incredibly impressive. But I think that there's a few things that separate these two. Now, Jalen Green is a superior athlete, and I think that for the most part, he's going to be able to get away with a little bit more um, in terms of playing off the ball with how good of an athlete he is and losing guys with his dribbling. But he isn't as poised with the ball. He isn't as great of a shooter, but he's a good one. But he's just not as good of a shooter. And I don't know if they, I don't know if they see him being the, I would say the top end defender that you kind of see Cunningham is. 
But he he's going to be good, and I don't think Jalen Green is going to be bad. He's he's slated at two to Houston Rockets, which is going to have a pretty aggressive backcourt. Jalen Suggs, freshman out of Gonzaga, I think he's one of the most overrated prospects so far. I think we saw it in the Baylor game. He was not good shooting. I think he was frazzled. He's an undersized guard in terms of keeping his weight and feet underneath him. And guards that can't shoot early on in the draft are scary, especially with the lack of length that he has. Now, he's a good defensive guy, but he's good defensively in like a gimmicky way. He like kind of like a Steph Curry. He's going to play passing lanes, try to jump guys, but I don't know how much on the ball defending um, with his size is, is if he's going to be able to do. He was extremely good in transition, but most teams he's going to, he's going to be running the transition. And even if he is, I think for the most part, um, that's where so much of his offense came in that it's not replicable at the next end. And I think this is a guy that either A, falls tonight on the draft, not late, he'll still be a top 10 pick for his upside, but I think this is a guy that either falls or he's drafted high, expectations are too high, and he has too much thrown at him where he isn't necessarily at that point in his career right away. Um, Scotty Barnes, freshman, freak athlete, 6'9". Um, I think this is one of those guys who's going to play extreme defense and extreme defense and that's going to keep him in the league until he flows or figures out his 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 offensive game. I don't know if they if he knows what it's at yet. I don't know if I I, I just don't know if he's going to develop into the offensive scorer that he needs to be to warrant a top 5 pick and anytime you invest on high defensive prospects early on and hoping that they de- develop a better defensive game, even if they are already extremely athletic. It, it is it is difficult to get that. It's a lot easier for high-end athletes to learn to defend, in my opinion, in the NBA than learn to efficiently score. I mean, Ben Simmons has been in the NBA for five to six years and still hasn't developed the jump shot. He's a high-end defender, lanky, and he still isn't there on his offensive game where you necessarily want him to be. And it you know goes to show in the playoffs. Uh Jonathan Kaminga, he also went into the G League. Very raw, very raw. I think this is a guy that you're drafting and you're not looking to win in the next two years. If if you're looking to win in the next two years, I think that this is a terrible draft pick for you. He might get buried on your depth chart in order to win. This is a guy who who needs time to develop a jumper, to to get NBA-type reps, but he's athletic and, and, and aggressive enough that he's he can play. He's not going to be a complete liability on your team when you give him reps on the defensive end. But you just don't know offensively if he's going to be able to be the guy that you necessarily want. James Buchnight, uh, sophomore guard. I, I don't really want to talk too long. I still got like 10 minutes. But I think that he's a bit smaller on weight-wise. But he's an incredibly good scorer, but he has surgery. This is a guy that I, I predict to drop tomorrow night simply because... He's, he's a bit smaller, he's a bit older, and any time that you have um, a, a guy get an elbow injury and surgery, <sighs> scoring is always, offhand or with his regular hand, it, it, it concerns you. Uh, Joshua Giddy, Australian guy, I've uh, been playing in the Australian league for the last few years, or, or sorry, New Zealand basketball league for the last few years. Um, He's one of those guys that is, if he was in America, you might compare him to Cade Cunningham, but he just isn't that good of a jumper yet. He has the defensive ability. He's tough, mature. He, he you know, He's playing against grown men in Australia, 
but this is kind of a wild card pick. I wouldn't be surprised if a good team uses, um, if he slides down at like the eight or nine spot, a team that, you know, maybe shouldn't have fallen there in the draft picks him up. Next up, we have Franz Wagner. I think with him being young, I, I, I love Franz Wagner and I like the way, but he isn't a downhill attacker. He he kind of scores off of offbeat angles. You didn't see his athleticism play, but people say he's super athletic and long. He's going to be able to defend really well. Um, you, you saw that help defense. He's especially good getting in passing lanes, um, helping blocking guys. Um, he's just an all-around guy. This is a guy that you can plug and play, and he's not going to cost you, but you don't know what his long-term, you know, possibilities are on your team, whether he develops a jump shot, whether he really learns to attack downhill and finish at the hole. It, it, it just He's one of these guys that it's going to be interesting to see how he pans out. Um, next guy that I want to talk about is Corey Kispert. So he's a senior, he's 22 already, and he's the best shooter in the draft. He is a team that if you need shooting and you're in the middle of the NBA pack and you're like, hey, we shot so poorly last year. We need a plug and play guy. Last year we made the playoffs and and we don't have a a, a playoffs. You know, we don't have playoff or we have playoff intentions, but we just missed or or we just needed someone else who could really shoot. I I think a, a guy like this fits in really well with Charlotte. Um, the Hornets, they have a lot of different guys that do a lot of things, but they don't have pure shooters on the outside for their team. And then on the same time, I wouldn't at all be surprised if he's a Golden State uh, um, type of player just because they love guard shooting. Um, it sounds like they're going to be trading away as many picks as they can to go get a veteran player. But it's just going to be interesting to see how all of this draft kind of works out. And you know, teams that didn't shoot well. Memphis can be there if he falls a little bit. Memphis had, was one of the worst shooting teams in the league last year, and they get a knockdown shooter like uh, Corey Kispert. Now, this is going to be a Duncan Robinson-esque career. He's going to have to figure out how to move without the ball. He's going to have to figure out how to be a much better player than he currently is. Um, but you saw some types of that stuff at Gonzaga where he was in a high-level, high-skilled offense where he was moving and getting open, getting open looks. Uh, Moses Moody, I really like this prospect. First off, he's incredibly young, and he easily translates to 3-and-D player. And I, you know, things usually translate, and I always, and I already said this, but I don't trust guys necessarily defending to immediately translate. Some guys are quicker, faster. Some guys can figure out holes. Some tendencies kind of change. But anytime you're a shooter, shooting usually translates consistently in the college and I think that Moses Moody who was a high ball usage guy at Arkansas or sorry on yeah on Arkansas with the way this team ran a lot of isolation ball I think that him being a shooter helps him immediately get put onto a good team and I think he's another guy that can help shoot and I think that He's a guy that you're not going to want to put your pressure on to score. He is an athletic as even maybe a Cade Cunningham and as good as finishing as Cade Cunningham is, or and he is definitely isn't athletic as Jalen Green. But Moses Moody kind of translate in into a type of scorer where that you look at him like, hey, he's plug and play on being able to score. Um, Davian Mitchell, um, he's 22, bit on the older end, and I think it's funny that we're talking about 22 year old guys as being on the older end of the draft process. But the draft continues to get younger and younger and younger. Um, he was a huge part into the Baylor's Tuttle Young. He is an extremely good finisher. Uh, his his style of play isn't great, 
Um, and he's... I don't know if his offensive game is going to translate as well as maybe you like, which is why he's slotted here at 15 even after the hell of a run that he's had. But I think something that we can definitely talk about is this dude is going to work, he's going to grind, and he's going to try and attack and finish, and he's not going to be um, you know, scared. I don't know if his, his uh, athleticism and finishing and maybe his jumper uh, translate, but I, I really like him to be a backup guard to come in and be a spark off the bench in the same way that you see these quick uh, athletic Lou Will type guys um, be, bring a spark to the offense where you can go and catch 10 points in a little bit of time frame. Now, obviously, he won't be there as soon as he enters, but don't at all be surprised if, if his ability to kind of do that uh, translates immediately. Um Moving on, we're kind of going to wrap up talking about this guy. Another guard I really like is Chris Durate. He's going to be the oldest guy in this draft. He's a senior 24, 6'6". He needs to add some weight, but he's a strong guy. But I think that he's one of those guys that is going to shoot the shit out of the ball. And he might not be as great of a shooter as my boy Corey Kispert, but he is a top-end talent um, on scoring. I think it's going to make him... Uh, instantly be able to spark a team offensively. I don't think I see him starting, but I I definitely see him as a a guy that goes into the league, goes into a spot, and and, and establishes himself as a shooter right away. Um, Jalen Johnson, this is my my question mark. Um, I don't know how his offensive game translates. Now he's going to be athletic. He's going to be a passer. He's going to be a rebounder. Um, I don't know if him leaving Duke's program saying, I'm not going to compete with his, you know, lack than his, his lack of production there in the, the fall strange. And they, they just played like shit. I, I think it depends on where he goes is going to be an interesting one. This guy was like one of the top recruits in the country and he's fallen to you know, being outside of the lottery for sure. He's at 18 right now, or sorry, he's at 19 right now on where he's going to get picked. And it's just, can he, can he understand and be a great half court player in the offense? And maybe too much was asked at him on the Duke team. Um, That's definitely uh, uh, something that can happen, but we'll kind of see where, where it comes out. And then the real thing that I want to talk about is all those guys I didn't mention, none of them are Kentucky guys. And this is the first real year, you know, Kentucky had a awful fucking year, but this is the first real year where, um, uh, I, I guess what we need to say is that this is the first year that Kentucky, they got the brakes blown off them and none of their guys really translated. And some of the guys stayed and it'll be interesting to see how all that kind of translates. Um, Isaiah Todd, guys, this is a guy that was one of the top-ranked recruits, was supposedly going to Michigan. He's listed as 35. Um, He's going to space the floor as a 6'10 power forward, but you don't know how strong he is. You don't know what he kind of looks like. And then um, one guy I do want to talk about is there's going to be some guys in the second round that – I think generate some buzz, but Aaron Henry, MSU guy, obviously inconsistent play last year. 
I think that he has a solid base point, but it's really consistently hitting those three-pointers is going to be whether he sticks in the NBA or not. He isn't necessarily great at any one thing, but he had to lead in my opinion, a, a bad team. And he did a tremendous job at the end of the season, even getting them into the tournament and really controlling and making them have any chance of being competitive. And I think that's a, a, a terrific quality that, that you just love to see. So with that being said, I think the draft tomorrow night is going to be a ton of fun. I look forward to listening to it and watching it with you guys. Um, if you have any questions or you guys want to submit question pieces, of course ask, but I'm always here. Um, the corners have been painted. You guys have a wonderful night. Don't be surprised when I uh, let you guys know what movie we'll be uh, reviewing tomorrow.